today I choose joy. And the thought behind that is that in every aspect of our life, there are opportunities to stop for a moment and say, my circumstances are not really what I want them to be, but I can choose joy based upon what I know from the Word of God, the personal, intimate relationship that we have through Him in times of difficulty, in times of pain. We don't say, God, give us more pain, please. But we are incredibly grateful for the connectiveness that we have with Him and the the fact that we have hope not just for now, but for eternity in heaven. And as a result of that, we can celebrate and we have joy. This morning, we're going to be talking about joy thieves. And there's certain things in your life and in my life that steal your joy. Sometimes they're inward. Many times they're outward. And we must choose today. I want you to get this in your mind from the very beginning. We must choose today how we are going to respond tomorrow. You don't wait till the difficult times come when this joy is being stolen or attempted to be stolen from you to say, hmm, how should I respond to the situation? I believe in order to be safe, in order to be effective and, and really truly joyful, we must choose now how we're going to respond in the future. I'll give you an example. I genuinely hope that none of us, while we're at church today, have our houses broken into. But unless of you lived out way out in the middle of the bush, and some of you do, so I know some of you are already going to ruin my illustration, because if I ask the question, who locked their doors today? I already know some of you didn't, because you live out way out in the middle of nowhere. But for the rest of us who live in suburbia, did you lock your doors today as you left church? You bet I did. I locked our doors, and I checked them. And I, when you left your car today, did you lock your car? Why? Because there are thieves out there. You don't do it because you know today's the day they're going to come. Any other day, I'm never going to lock my doors. I'm just going to do it on the one day that I know they're going to come. You do it because you don't know when they're going to come. So therefore, you choose today, in other words, to lock your, your, lock your car, to lock your doors in a similar way, like I ride a motorcycle, and I say this with all humility, I've never fallen off my motorcycle, and tomorrow is not the d- today. But you know what I do? I wear a helmet every single time. You don't, and I don't need a helmet when we, you ride a motorcycle or ride a bicycle if you never fall off. But because you might fall off, you wear a helmet. That's another reason why my wife, Cammie, never rides with me. She says, my children do not need to lose both parents. I was like, well, I don't want them to lose any parents. It's more fun to ride by yourself anyway. You and I, we face circumstances every single day that can possibly steal your joy. So let's choose today how we're going to respond in the future based upon the word of God. In the book of Philippians, chapter number two, if you ever Bob go ahead and open to Philippians, chapter number two. It'll be on the screen for you to follow as well. If you have your your bulletins, inside the bulletins are the message notes. I'll give you a little bit of background. The Apostle Paul, leading up to this time, he himself is physically under house arrest. And he doesn't know whether he's going to get out, whether he's going to be released, whether he's going to be executed. He doesn't know what the future is going to hold. And in chapter number one, he talks about the fact that where does his joy lie? His joy lies in the fact that he knows Jesus Christ as his Savior. 
And if he was to die, praise God, because he's going to be in heaven. If he remains here on earth, praise God, because he gets to continue to serve him. That was his attitude was very, very positive. And the end of chapter number one, he gives some really serious advice to the real church in Philippi and really to you and I today, saying difficult times will come. And then he goes on into chapter number two, which we're looking at this morning, and begins to address and begins to help us understand what are some of the difficulties. And he makes it a very positive list. And in this passage, he uses four positive examples. One is Jesus Christ. The other one, he uses himself as the example. The other one is a man named Timothy, which is the same one as Timothy in the, the books of Timothy in the Bible. And the last one is a man named Epaphroditus, who was actually from Philippi. So he uses four examples. This morning, we're just going to look at Jesus' example because of time and because I know you want to go home today. In this passage, let's begin looking in chapter number 2, verse number 2. We're going to read verses 2 through 4. And then we're going to go down and read verses 14 and 15. And then we're going to walk back to them again. It says this. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only on his own interests, also the interest of others. Go down to verse number 14. It says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Maybe this is a really good verse to teach your children. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Let's go back on the screen to verse number two. It says to complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being of the same accord and of one mind. He talks about unity. And he's telling them there, be unified together as a local church. And the fact that he has to say that tells me that these people were actually normal people. There were a variety of people from different backgrounds, and they had to be told, you need to get along. Going into chapter number four of Philippians, he actually addresses, quite to, I, I believe, quite to their embarrassment. He names two ladies within the church, and he basically says, you two ladies really need to start getting along. And then he just moves on. Forever in Scripture, there's these two ladies that are told, get along. Because we know that within a local church, we're not all the same. Some of you are happy after the Wallabies won, and some of you are sad after the Wallabies won. We can all just get along because we have Jesus. And so therefore, as you think about that, he's saying here, be unified together because we know there's disunity. Naturally, we're going to not have unity. So therefore, we need to actually focus and work to unity. It goes on and says, do nothing, from verse number three, from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. It doesn't go without saying. He says there, you need to actually be focused and choose today that you're going to bring up somebody else more than yourself because we naturally are selfish people. And you may disagree and say, well, no, I'm not selfish. I'm always giving. And hopefully we, you do. Hopefully you understand this principle and you're applying it to your life. But naturally, I kind of want to go first. All the time, <laughs> every single time. And you probably do too. 
And he goes on in verse number four. He says, let each of you look not only at his own interests, but also those interests of others. Considering something else, what's someone else's point of view? What are they feeling right now? What has brought them to where they are today? As it goes on into verses 14 and 15. It says, do all things without grumbling and disputing. I like that when Paul lays it out so clearly. He just says, we just need to stop grumbling. Now, as a local church, we all get along really, really well. And I thank God, and I don't take it for granted that we as a church, we, we are on the same focus. We talk about our purpose being connecting and growing and serving. We, we remain focused upon that. But it's so easy to begin to grumble and dispute about the small, minor things. Like, I didn't like this, or I don't like that, or did you see that person? And he goes on and says they may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. And he goes on this last line in verse 15. It says, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. One of the joys that we have as people that know Jesus Christ as our Savior is that we certainly live in a world that is a crooked and a twisted generation. Our society around us is very, very immoral. It's full of disunity. But we can live differently because of Jesus Christ. And then Paul goes on in this passage, which we're going to look at in a few moments' time, and begins to break down how Jesus himself lived this out. How he put others first. Our principle for today is this. When I live to glorify God, my joy will not be stolen. When we put first things first, our joy in our lives will not be stolen. In the past weeks, and this week included, I'm going to challenge you to add to your morning to-do list. When you wake up in the morning, as you open your eyes, before you begin to process all the things you have to do, add to your to-do list, today I choose joy. And I've been working on this myself, because it's all well and good to tell you to do it, but I have to do it myself too. How is it working for you? How, how is it when you wake up in the morning and you've already chosen, I'm going to choose joy, even though my circumstances are not necessarily always happy, even though I don't really feel great today, how am I going to choose joy today? So let, let's look at the scripture this morning. There's four points we're going to look at through this passage in order to overcome joy thieves. Four things. Think of others, serve others, give to others, and ultimately glorify God. My real challenge to you is we're going to look at those in order, but glorify God is really the number one. When we give him the glory he deserves, the other things begin to flow from that. First of all, the first of the four points, to overcome joy thieves is first and foremost to think of others. Now, if you are a mother here today, you naturally think of others. In fact, more often than not, I tell my wife, Stop. We can take care of ourselves. Go take care of yourself. It's a natural attribute. But for the rest of us, we may have a little more difficult time with this. In this passage, in Philippians 2, verse 4, it says, Let each of you look not only on his own interests, but also on the interests of others. Knowing this point was coming up, I started a social experiment this week. And as I walked around the local shops, I worked to make eye contact with people and smile at them. Now, I must say, I did not do like the smile on the screen. I did not walk around going, 
and trying to make weird eye contact with people. But what I did was I walked around and I just thought to myself, uh, going into the day shops, rather than just walking like I normally do, I'm going to try to make eye contact with people. And if there's an opportunity to help someone, I'm just going to after you. Little things like that. And I must say there was one lady particularly that like, looked at me and like she gave me the dirtiest scowl. Other than that, like, there's always that one person that just you need to extra smile to. But it was just an interesting social experiment. How many people look back and they make eye contact in return? But if you give them a nice smirk and just show some sort of genuine, like, oh, you're a human being as I walk past you. It's incredible. Do you know what happens? People smile back. And it, I, it was an interesting social experiment because I was consciously going around thinking about other people as I walked around. You know, as I walked around Woolworths, back and forth, up and down the aisles, <laughs> looking for people to smile to. So this is just an example, but it was a little social experiment that I was doing this week. And maybe you can try that. Jesus himself thought of other people. That's the entire reason why he came to earth, because he had you and I and the rest of humanity on his mind as individual people. I firmly believe that Jesus Christ knows who you are and he knew who you were when he came to earth. So therefore, he had you as an individual on his mind. And in that passage in verses 5 and 6, it says, have this mind among yourselves. In other words, use Jesus Christ as the example, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Who, though he was, being, was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus Christ, for all eternity past, had been in the very presence of God. They were in perfect unity together. As we study out the Trinity and God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, we see that they did not need us in order to be complete, but they chose to create us. The book of John, chapter number 1, the first four verses, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. That's a tongue twister way of saying Jesus Christ and God have been together for, since the very beginning. And it goes on in verse number three, and it says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus Christ, according to this verse, was actively involved in creation. And it goes on, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In all eternity past, Jesus Christ and God and the Holy Spirit were in perfect unity together. Yet he chose, because he was thinking of you and me, he chose to give up the very presence of God to come to earth. Now, I'm not saying we should give up absolutely everything because we don't have the ability to do what Jesus Christ did. But if the one we are to serve, the one we're to give glory to, has done that for you, and he's given that much value to you as an individual, how much value should we give to others if our Creator has given us that value to ourselves? So therefore, we should think of others. Going on from there, to overcome joy themes, not only are we to think of others, we are to serve others. It's one thing to notice there's a need, 
There's a great deal of difference between noticing a need and actually working to fulfill that need by serving others. There's something powerful and joyful we find in service. There's something genuinely joyful about doing some really menial tasks when you're doing it for God to bless others. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, the middle of that verse says, But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Could you imagine? Let's just not, let's not think of the entire world. Let's just break this down into your own family unit. How would your family unit look if we actually lived out counting others more significant than ourselves? Just this week. Let's break that down even smaller. Just today. How would it look different when you sit at the meal table today? As you go around your tasks around the house, as you need help with something, instantly someone's coming along saying, I can help you with that. You imagine, I mean, first of all, as parents, we would be shocked. But also, we would be really happy, wouldn't we? And the unity would come as a result of that. Jesus Christ himself came to earth not to be served, but to serve. That passage in verse 7, it says, but emptied himself. This is talking about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ emptied himself of all the rights that he had to be served. And what did he do? He served by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. I can only imagine, maybe late at night when you can't sleep and you start thinking about big things like eternity. You think about the sacrifice that Jesus made in order to come to earth, giving off and giving away all the rights that he deserved in order to be a human. But he didn't come at a a comfortable time in history. He came 2,000 years ago when life was tough. I mean, again, this is me talking. This is not in any way biblical. But if I was going to come in order to save mankind, I would come when I didn't have to do so much walking. When I didn't have to walk kilometer upon kilometer to get anywhere. I would have come in a time frame when there was indoor plumbing. I would have come when I could have had a lot more comfort. Jesus Christ came at a time that was not easy for him at all physically, but also he came because he was there for a higher purpose. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, it says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus Christ came, in fact, Jesus Christ himself, that's his words. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You and I, we enjoy some incredible privileges today. We enjoy some incredible privileges when you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. The Bible says the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. He guides you and he leads you into all truth. He convicts you when you do wrong. He seals our salvation. We have hope not just for now, but for all eternity in heaven with him one day. And you think of that and you think we have incredible privileges because of Jesus Christ's service. But we have a natural tendency to sit back and to think to ourselves, Somehow, I deserve this. Somehow, you or I did something to deserve this. There's a really 
really old picture, an analogy. If you ever come across a turtle sitting on top of a fence post, you know it didn't get there by itself. In a similar way, for you and I to have any form of righteousness in our life, any form of true hope and joy and hope for the future and eternity, the only way we did it was, was not in our own strength. It was because somebody has put us there. And similar with the, with the turtle on the, on the fence post. If you come across a turtle on a fence post, you know somebody helped it get there. We have our, our points. To overcome joy thieves, we must think of others. We must serve others. And it goes on, we must give to others. Because service naturally flows into giving. It's all well and good to see a problem or to, to notice somebody else and think about them. If you've tried this or done this, I'm thinking about you. But the person really doesn't need your thoughts. What they need is your help. And sometimes that help of service is going to actually cost you something. Many people have no problem in serving others, but when it, when it costs them nothing. I have no problem thinking about you and serving you if it doesn't cost me anything. But what about when it does cost you something? Of course, Jesus Christ is a perfect example of that. Verse number eight, it says, being found in human form. That is, Jesus Christ came and became a human. Of course, he came. He was born as a baby. He lived and he, he lived a perfect life. And now as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I find that interesting. And, and, and just in my thinking on top of my head, thinking not just any death, but a death on a cross. And I'm not going to spend the time this morning to describe a sacrificial death on a cross, but it's a horrific thing. And I know for today, a, a symbol of a cross is really is a, is a beautiful symbol of hope and of joy and all the wonderful things we associate with it. But 2,000 years ago, a sim the symbol of a cross was absolutely a horrible symbol. You would never want to associate yourself with a, such an implement of torture. There's a man who was a preacher back in the 1800s. His name was J.H. Jow. He made a couple statements, which I, I think the, the quotes are pretty good quotes. He says, God does not comfort us to make us comfortable, but to make us comforters. God does not comfort us to make us comfortable, but to make us comforters. And he goes on and says, ministry that costs you nothing accomplishes nothing. Ministry that costs you nothing accomplishes nothing. In that passage in, in verse number 17, in Philippians chapter number 2, the apostle Paul himself, in using himself as the example there, was thinking to himself, you know, I don't know if I'm ever going to get out of this you know, being under arrest. I don't know if I'm going to be executed. So therefore, he says in verse number 17, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, notice, even if I die in order for you to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I am glad and rejoice with you all. To me, that's naturally and humanly speaking, that's a pretty big sacrifice he's willing to make. 
I very much hope for you and for me and for our own lives that we don't have to sacrifice our lives for our faith. But the Apostle Paul says it brings joy for him. And it's actually something that he's rejoicing in, in the opportunity because he believed in giving to others. Jesus gives us one of the interesting paradoxes of the Bible. The paradox is that in Luke chapter number 6, verse number 38, it says, give and it will be given to you. More often than not, in our natural way of thinking, in my natural mindset is if I give, and it co- it's going to cost me something to give to you. Therefore, I won't have enough anymore. You, you feel the same way sometimes? Yes, I have no problem giving, but if it's going to cost me something, then, oh, I don't know if I should or shouldn't. According to Jesus in Luke chapter number 6, it says, give and it will be given to you. I honestly believe that when we are called by God to give to others, God will provide for us where we need it and what we need. The more that we as a local church, the more as you as an individual seek to be like Christ, to respond in a Christ-like manner to one another, to love like Christ, to give like Christ, the more joy that we're going to experience. Now, this is where it becomes difficult because it's all well and good for me to stand up here and say, you need to, or we need to, Think about others. We need to serve others. We need to give to others because that's what it says in the Bible. But to be honest with you, that right there is just a bunch of list of rules. And it's so easy to go, well, why aren't you giving like me? Or why aren't you thinking of others like I think of others? But when we look at the final point of what's our motivation, why do we do what we do? It's not to impress you. It's not to, in a sense, even to make you feel good, although that's a byproduct of that. It's ultimately to glorify God. Because Jesus thought of you, because Jesus loves you, because Jesus gave you a gift that you could never afford on your own, we can give God the glory that he deserves. Giving God the glory is not just praise and worship in the sense of of music. It's giving God the credit wherever he deserves the credit. And as we begin to think about areas in your life, absolutely every area of your life, God can receive credit for. The sun rose this morning. We give glory to God. He provides for you with your work and provides you with your family, provides the the simple and seemingly mundane small things and the big, huge things that change and transform our lives. Every single one of them is giving God the credit that he deserves, is giving God the glory. Verse number three, Philippians 2, verse 3, it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. One of the joy thieves is when we think that we're serving someone else, but we're actually doing it for selfish ambition, as it says there. We're doing it self-focused. And it goes on, it says, or conceit. Now, I looked at that word and, and, and did a little study on the word conceit, and it has the, the understanding of emptiness, vanity. In other words, what you're doing is ultimately going to end up being totally empty. As a father... 
and other fathers here will fully understand is that we sacrifice a great deal for our families. I mean, we all do, but this is my illustration. My wife is an incredible baker, and she makes these chocolate chip biscuits that are absolutely amazing. I would put her biscuits above any of yours. But if you do want to actually try and challenge, you're welcome to make Dwayne and I biscuits this week, and, and we'll judge them and let you know how you did. My wife makes incredible biscuits, and she makes them, and she's perfected a recipe, and she does them really amazing. One of the most frustrating things for me as a husband and as a father is you come home, and they sit in a little Tupperware little thing in the, in the pantry, and you come home, and you pull it out, and you instantly know as soon as you pull it out, there's a problem because it's awfully light. And I know that Tammy just yesterday made biscuits, and they're delicious, and they are my favorite. And my kids know they're my favorite. They have all these other snacks they could possibly eat. And you open it up, and you know it's going to be empty, but you still have to look. And you open it up, and they, for some reason, they ate the last of the biscuits, and they still put it back in the pantry, nice and neatly. And I invariably do what I do every single time. Who ate the last biscuit? And this happened this week. Who ate the last biscuit? Did you not know that I have had none? One of the most disappointing things, and I know this is a silly illustration, but this is something that was in my mind this week, is the disappointment of anticipating there's going to be something that you really like and you really enjoy and you want more of. If you see my wife, tell her. And you open it up and it's empty. There's disappointment. Now, that's a silly illustration about biscuits. What about for your life? You work and you work hard. You think of others. You serve. You give. And ultimately, you open it up and you find that it's absolutely empty because we're not giving God the glory that it deserves. In other words, the source of why we think of others, why we serve, why we give is missing. Therefore, in every aspect of our lives, we need to take a moment and say, God, I want to choose joy today, but I want to find the right source of my joy in giving you the credit where you deserve. In verses 9 through 11, we see Jesus Christ and what will happen with Jesus Christ ultimately. It talks about every knee will bow in heaven and on earth. It says there in verse number 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him, that's Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And what's the last line? I underlined it on the screen for you. Why does God do that to Jesus? To the glory of God the Father. Everything that we do in this life, is not for my praise. It's not for your praise. And if we're to truly overcome joy thieves, it's not a list of just ignore them and they'll go away. It's actually to begin the mindset today of how we're correctly supposed to think. How am I supposed to respond today? In other words, how, how I'm going to determine today how I'm going to respond when those joy thieves begin to come, when the circumstances that I never asked for come along when the, the sickness comes along when i lose my job when the you know you crash the car when the real thief comes in and steals in your house how am i going to respond in philippians 2 verse number 13 
The Apostle Paul, speaking of himself, says this, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work, why? For his good pleasure. And he goes on in verses 17 and 18 and says, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. We can have joy today and we can overcome the joy thieves that you will face. If not today, you'll face them tomorrow or next week. Or you may be facing them right this moment. Let me give you the one tool. According to this passage, we're to turn it right back to Jesus. Right back to God and give him the glory. What has he done that we can give him the glory and the praise for? What can we give him credit for today? I'm going to close with two questions this morning. The two questions are questions that I want you to mull around in your mind because I believe it's important to recognize. First of all is, where are the joy thieves in your life? And don't glare at somebody right now, but you know, think in your mind, there's, there's joy thieves in your life. Where are the joy thieves? I believe when you begin to recognize them, you can find an opportunity to think of them, to serve them, to give to them, and ultimately glorify God through that. The other question, the second question is about your mindset. Is today, what can you find to glorify God? In a moment, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray a, a prayer, just say, you know, a, a prayer of closing. The musicians are going to come and lead in a closing song. But as I pray and as we sing, I want you to mull around in your mind. What is something that you can give God glory for right now? Now, it may be something really off the top of your head, quick, you know, thank you for my family. That's, that's, that shouldn't go without saying. You know, because it's, it's not unique, it's, it's an important thing to say thank you for. What if you break it down a little bit more specific? Thank you for my family. Begin to name them, who they are, and begin to think through different individual attributes that they have. And it make them unique and has made them special. As you think about what God's done in your life, your story is unique. You're the only person with that story in this entire room, in fact, this entire world. Thank God for his salvation that he's given to you. He's uniquely and individually saved you. As you think about others, sometimes those people that may rub you wrong, that may be your joy thief, look for opportunities to think of them and to serve them and to give to them so that ultimately you can glorify God for them. Let's pray together. Lord, I, I pray that you will work in each and every one of our lives. It's so much easier to say things than it is to do things. So let's, Lord, I, I pray that you will give us the... the the conviction and also the understanding to go out and to live life differently because we can give you glory in every aspect of our lives. Lord, for, for a number of people here today, there's a number of really serious difficulties they're facing. There's opportunities for every one, one of us to, to experience thieves that, that steal our joy. Lord, I pray that we will first and foremost give you the glory for the big things and also the small things. And in every aspect of our lives, we will see things the way you see them, giving you credit where you're working, giving you the praise and the glory that you deserve. And I pray that you'll make us different people as a result. And in Jesus' name, amen.